Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I said this a few times this week, and after having Jorge Masvidal on the show Wednesday, you all know now what I've been saying. Now, in terms of his fight this weekend, never in his life, the man known as Gamebred, never has he ever wanted to break another guy's face as badly as he wants to break Colby Covington's. He essentially said as much, and I believe the guy. And yes, of course he gets a piece of Saturday's pay-per-view. Of course he's selling the fight. And right now there might not be a better salesman in the entire game than Gamebred. But just because he's trying to get you to buy the fight doesn't mean that he doesn't mean what he's saying. He does. And his hatred of Covington is real. And it's raw. And frankly, it's justified. This is not just bad blood. This is some of the worst blood this sport's ever seen. These dudes are not putting on an act. They're not getting you to throw down and then hugging it out after the fight and laughing their asses all the way to the bank, like is the case sometimes. That's not what this is. I firmly believe that Jorge wants to send this dude out of that arena in a body bag. And while Covington is a monster on the ground, he probably would say the same thing about Jorge. What I'm saying is this, the hatred is real, and this truly is a grudge match for the ages. Actually, it might be the grudge match of the ages. I mean, seriously, there's been a lot of beefs in combat sports, and the great thing about Dana White's UFC is they actually settle them. But I can't recall one ever being this personal. Jorge's saying it's not. It's not. It's always professional, and it's never personal. And that's about the only thing that he has said this week that I don't fully fully grasp or believe of course it's personal it's personal because these two dudes once lived together trained together were best friends close as bleep but now they hate each other's guts and if there's a stronger word than hate it would apply here and both happen to be really good at settling their disputes by applying their fists to the other guy's face i'm talking High-level hands, yo. Like, and I'll own this right here and now. No matter how many times I say that I don't root, I don't root for an athlete, I don't root for a team. Any athlete, any team, I just don't. I never have. I'm not some lame fanboy, and if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I don't give a damn who wins or loses ever. I don't. It's 100% the truth. I do not care. I don't root for any athlete or any team. I don't root for anything other than something to talk about. Even though some of you dopes like to gloss me Dodger Jim, Laker Jim. Fact of the matter is, the Dodgers are not my favorite team. The Lakers are not my favorite team. My favorite team is team. Yeah, I know. I sound like a homer. You want to know my favorite team? My favorite team is team content. Bottom line, the only ones that I have ever rooted for since getting into the game. My kids, which I did not have yet. My horses, which I did not have yet. And my alma mater, UC Santa Barbara. These are the only things I ever root for. My kids, my horses, my college. How many times do I have to say that? How many times? I don't bleeping root. Period. Period. Ever. Ever. Until right now. Until right now. First time ever. Hell yes, I said it. 
I am absolutely rooting here. I am absolutely betting this fight. And yes, I'm betting as much or more with my heart to my head because it is personal. Because I love Jorge Masvidal. I love this guy's story. I love him as a fighter. I love how real he is. I love how raw he is. And I love that he comes on this show and does an interview that, frankly, I don't think you can find. I know I can't anywhere else. This dude is that different. And he proved it again when he came on this week prior to the showdown. Hell yes, I'm rooting for him to win. The only guy ever that I've rooted for. And in case you missed it, I want to reset how he and Covington went from being best friends to blood enemies. And I can all but guarantee that if you listen to this, you will come out of this soundbite and you will root for this guy too. There's always three sides of the story, your side, their side, and the truth, you know. So um, I was getting to know Kobe and uh, he broke his hand and his ex-girlfriend kicked him out of his house. So he didn't have nowhere to live at. I was living nearby the gym. I had an extra room. I said, man, yeah, you come stay with me. You know, six months into it, he breaks his hand again, so he's never able to give me a penny to help me out, and he's eating off my plate, you know, because I'm the one that's getting meal sponsorships and things like that. Um, I already have, like, 25 fights as a pro, so I'm doing all right in life. You know, he's trying to figure it out. He's, he doesn't know what to do. Um, I let him stay with me close to nine months. Then after that, you know, I, I, uh, I go back down to Miami. I introduce him to my coach, which coaches him from his first amateur fight, all the way up to him winning that uh, Mickey Mouse belt he parades around town, the interim belt that he won against RDA. And uh, me and Paulino were in his corner. Paulino's my head coach that I introduced him to. They had a handshake that it'd be 5% on whatever he makes on the fight. You know, same current deal that I have with him that I've had with him since a kid. And um, no paperwork needed. It's just two men shaking hands, and we know we're, we're going to follow through on it. So Kobe wins the belt. He finally makes a little bit of money in his career. And guess what he does after winning that belt? How much he pays my coach? Zero dollars. From then, right then, that moment, um, it was never the same. I, I already knew that this person was not a trustworthy person. I'd stopped hanging out with him. It was, uh, it was a clear evidence sign to me. You know? It was about four months in, and he kept, like, ducking and diving the question. And then he would say, oh, no, it's just miscommunication. You know, coach doesn't speak that well English. I don't speak Spanish. Yada, yada, yada. So I try to, like, get in, in, in between and try to figure it out, and this guy would avoid that. So after four months, we knew he wasn't going to pay already, and I, and I already had already cut this person out of my life. You know, like, I, I, I knew not to trust this guy. Yet he was still on every news media outlet, and you could see everything I'm saying. You could fact-check it online. He was still saying, Jorge Masvidal's my best friend. If it wasn't for Jorge Masvidal, I wouldn't be here. Jorge Masvidal's my best friend. Um, I never said that. You can't catch me on air like saying anything crap like that you know so i'm just uh my problems with him i'm gonna keep it you know closed doors i, I know i want to fight him I, I wanted to hit him with a baseball bat to the neck but my coach begged me not to he's like man you're gonna get a chance to fight him the world will see and you'll get my money back in that in that event so uh here we are just a couple of days away from that you know but as soon as uh kobe got a chance to to use all that information that he gained within living for me or, or, or fabricated he did. He took it public and just goes on rants about my kids, goes on rants about my religion, my lifestyle, everything everything that a man shouldn't do to another man, especially if I helped you out, man. I gave you a place to live. I gave you food to eat. I'm the one that told you to stick with the sport, man. The sport pays off. It's rough in the beginning or in the middle or at the end, but you can push through it. And uh, and this is what he does for a couple of pieces of silver. So it shows the true colors. You know, I never would have gone public with any of this information had he not, you know, hey, you want, we want to fight. Let's fight. You sign a contract. 
I would have broke his jaw, got my coach's money, and and so on and so on, you know. But thank goodness God's been good to me, so I don't even need this money. I've been able to pay my coach for for that tab that he owed him. So uh, it's just, you know, the guy's uh, a charlatan, and I can't wait to expose him come March 5th, you know. He says a lot of the same things that I say about him, he says about me, but yet nobody in this sport is talking bad about me like that. There's nobody in the sport that I owe money to. There's nobody in the sport that that's going around saying I'm a two-faced piece of crap but him, the one that everybody, it's not just me. If it was just me and him having this bickering thing, whatever, right? But there's numerous athletes in the combat world that will tell you the same thing. Ask Woodley how he feels about um, Kobe even after the fights and all that. Ask John Jones. Ask numerous wrestling coaches and wrestlers from the wrestling community before Kobe came over to MMA what they think about this individual, you know? So Radio 101, never, ever, ever play a soundbite that long. Never, ever, ever play a soundbite anywhere near that long. Like, I violated every rule of radio by playing that right there. And I did so because it's that compelling. It's that good. It's that real. It's that raw. The sound is amazing. That exchange, not even an exchange, but the way he laid that out was absolutely amazing. And I would never do that for anybody else. I don't think there's another person other than maybe Elk on the podcast, that I would lay out and go for four, four minutes or five minutes. But this is why I love this guy. This is why I love this guy's story. This is why I am saying, for the record, I don't root, but I'm rooting come Saturday night. I love this guy because of where he started, where he is now, what he had to overcome. And in case you don't know that story because you don't like MMA, you don't follow the UFC, I'm talking about a guy who came up on the streets I mean, literally, not only came up on the streets, but fighting on the streets. He first came on the scene fighting Kimbo Slice's protege, Ray, on YouTube in the mean streets of Miami. Look it up. It's incredible. This dude went from living in a car, living in a car, fighting for Big Mac money as a kid, literally, to one of the biggest draws in the history of that promotion. How could you not get with Game Bread? I mean, this dude literally is the American dream. And taking this fight with Colby is exactly who this guy is. It is so on brand because it's a really dangerous fight for him. In fact, he's a major underdog in this fight. But it's on brand because Gamebred avoids no man. He dodges no challenge. Just like when he handled Ray in the streets back in the day. Like anyone, anywhere, and he'll be damned if he's the underdog or he's naturally smaller because my guy has never backed down from a bully in his life, never backed down from anything in his life. And Jorge thinks that Colby is all about the wrong stuff, all the wrong stuff, that he is a bad guy and a bully. He said it on this show Wednesday. Colby's never had a problem being the hammer, but could he be the nail? What's going to happen? Well, the odds and the experts are saying that Jorge himself is the nail. Last line I saw, Colby, minus 360. Jorge, plus 285. For those of you who do not understand those numbers, that means that Covington is an enormous favorite. And I get it. I get it, to be fair. Just because this dude is not likable at all doesn't mean that he's not a a great fighter. He is. He's an elite fighter. The only guy that he has lost to in the last seven years is Kamaru Usman, twice. The world's best pound for pound. Everybody loses to Usman. And nobody has ever fought him tougher than Covington did in the UFC. Like, this dude's pace is second to none. 
volume, 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 and then you mix in his all-American wrestling pedigree, he's a really dangerous fighter. In fact, one of the best in the history of the welterweight division. And I did say that. He is that good. So you can argue that this is a really bad guy, but you cannot argue that he's a really, really elite fighter. But game bread is exactly that, a gamer. The only dude that he has lost to since 2017, you guessed it, the same guy, Usman. So on paper, I know a lot of people have already buried my guy. People always do. Darren Till, Ben Askren, both were favored over this guy, and each one got their version of his three-piece and a soda. Well, Ben. Ben got his version of a flying knee. Oh, I'm going to beat you up. Jorge. The thing about Jorge, man, he's smart. He always seems to figure it out. He sees opportunities somewhere, somehow, and even when it looks grim, he's able to capitalize. So regardless of Colby's grappling, I don't see him ragdolling Jorge all over the mat. Yes, this dude's a great wrestler, but he's not Askren on the mat. Jorge will pop up, he'll get his openings, he'll get his opportunities, and he's one of the rare dudes who can stand pretty tall against wrestlers in the stand-up and maintain his striking power. And if Colby thinks that he could just do the same thing and be predictable, Game Bread's going to catch him. And as he says, break his face. I can't wait. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. And yes, I do still have some of that mezcal that he left for me. And yes, it was a gift from the man himself. And you can call me Mezcal Jim if you want. I don't give a damn. I am violating my own personal code and standards. My personal code that I do not ever root for anybody or any team other than something to talk about, except tomorrow. Tomorrow, I am all in on game bread. I bet the guy. I'm rooting for the guy. I want this guy to win. Badly. Now, he is in deep. Colby is a huge favorite, and for good reason. I just don't care, because I love game bread. You think that dude's going to come on this show, this week, and do the interview that he did for us, and I'm not going to root for him? The hell I'm not. I love Jorge bleeping Masvidal. So keep hating, keep discounting his chances, even you big head. But never forget, my man always has another face to break and check to collect, and I cannot wait to see it. Just so I'm clear, I'm rooting for Jorge. Now, what I'm not rooting for is for the Vegas police to get involved. All I know is I'm going to break this guy's face in a devastating way. And, you know, maybe maybe Las Vegas, Nevada, police department is going to press some charges on me because I'm going to hurt this dude, man. He said that on this show. That's not something I lifted from another interview. He said that on this show. Then again, what the hell would the Vegas police have done after the Askren flying knee? Can't you just hear the cops in Vegas? Mr. Masvidal, you are under arrest. Drop the knee and put your hands up. Yeah, uh, officer, I can't drop the knee. It's attached to my thigh. Sir, put your knee down. This is your last warning. Drop your knee. Officer, it's attached to my leg. Sir, drop your knee. Did I mention I'm rooting? 
Big time fight. Can't wait to see it. Who you got? 1-800-636-8686. Had a change up. There was no way I could start yet another show by talking. So you know the best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. Well, the same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments. Every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Visit m1finance.com slash sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Jay Wright is my guest Jay, it's so good to have you back. How are you, Jay? Jim, how are you, buddy? Jay, I am awesome. How are you? Doing great, my man. Good, dude, good. All right, so you beat number nine, Providence. Jay, let me start right there. 76-74 Tuesday. I'm curious. You guys have been in some real battles, some really tough spots. What about that game? What kind of emotions were going through you in the last few minutes of that game? Strange game, Tim, because they, you know, they clinched the regular season title uh, the game before that. Um, so in, in a sense, and we, we kind of clinched the second spot. And so you could look at it that like, you know, what does that mean? What's the game mean? But both of us wanted it bad. Um, and it, we, we had a 14-point lead. They, they made 15 threes. Mm. So we were hanging on for dear life. So when you ask me how I was feeling at the end, I was dying because we, we literally – hung on for life to win that one, made free throws down the stretch, actually had maybe three possessions where we fouled to not allow them to get off a three and um, and pulled it off. So it was down the wire and, and definitely a tough one. Wild stuff. Jay Wright joining us. Jay Kong Gillespie had 14 points, five assists, and four rebounds in that win. I'm curious, what's it been like for you to have him back this year and to see him playing the way that he has after that knee injury last year? Like, What does that mean to you as a coach and as a person to see that from him? He's amazing, Jim. He's um, Kong Gillespie's one of those guys you know, as a coach, you, you, every once in a while when you're, when you're just, just by yourself and watching film and you think about his impact, you realize like how blessed you are to just be a part of that kid's life. You know, he's, he's amazing. He comes back for his fifth year. He comes back from an injury. He's a leader. He's a great student. You know, he's in this first year of NIL where, um, because he's, you know, he's an all American candidate. He's a finalist for the Bob Cousy award finals for Big East player of the year. And, you know, he's got a lot of opportunities with NIL and any, and he's done well. But he turned down a lot because he wants to be focused on the team. He wants to be focused on his teammates. Um, he's one of those special guys, and, and we've been lucky. We've had a number of them here, but he's as special as any guy we've had here. And um, We're, we're going to miss him. We're going to really miss him when he leaves this year. 
We're talking to Jay Wright. You know, to that point, Jay, you have had so many special players, not only, I mean, at every position, but it just feels like there's something different about playing guard at Villanova. What does it take to play that position in your program? Yeah, we, we had, Jim, for a while there, they used to call us guard you. Right. Um, but And we, we love that. But um, I think the last three out of four, Julius Irving Award winners, which is the small forward of the year, um, were Villanova guys, Eric Paschal and um, uh, Mikhail Bridges and, and um, Sadiq Bey all won that. So then they stopped talking about that. But uh, our guards are tough, man, because they have to do a lot. They've got a guard on the perimeter. We, we switch a lot. They have to guard big guys inside. Offensively, they got to shoot threes. They got to play in pick and roll, and they got to post up too. So we really ask a lot out of our guards, and and, and that's why you, you see a lot of special players, a lot of special people that play that position at Villanova. We're talking to Jay Wright once again. So Jay, as somebody who's coached in and won plenty of Big East tournaments, what is it that makes that tournament stand out above the other conference tournaments? You know what, Jim? I, I love talking about this. I, I'm I'm so glad you. Give me a chance. It, the Big East tournament, when we talk about this as coaches in the Big East, winning that tournament is comparable to getting to a Sweet 16. It, it, it really is a maybe. And we always argue, you know, what's more important, get winning the Sweet 16 or winning the Big East tournament? It just means so much in the Northeast. You know, and it, it's been at Madison Square Garden for 35 years. And it's it's such a tradition. I, I I always compare it to the SEC football. You know, like if you know a a Florida a Florida Georgia game, you know, means a lot. You know, it's it's the biggest cocktail party in the world. It means a lot, no matter how good the teams are, because it's just a part of their culture. The Big East tournament in the Northeast and the New York area, it's a part of everybody's culture. And playing in Madison Square Garden and being in Manhattan for the week. It's such an incredible basketball high. If you can win that thing, it's off the charts. And sometimes, Jim, it actually hurts you going into the NCAA tournament because you're playing in Madison Square Garden in front of 19,000 people in New York City, and then you play your first-round NCAA game. You know, and it, there's like it's a quieter crowd, and maybe the place isn't full. You know, maybe it's a 2-15 matchup, and you're not – you know, you're coming out of that tournament and you're not ready for that quiet atmosphere. So it's something all of us in the Big East really cherish. And I, I personally do. I love being in that, in that garden for as long as you can during that week. I love that conversation. I love hearing you respond like that, Jay. Jay Wright joining us. That is such a fascinating topic. So then tomorrow is Coach K's final regular season game. What is the game going to lose when he leaves? You know, a, a great uh, a great mind um, for the game of basketball. Also, a great mind for um, the the sport in terms of where it fits in the NCA. Um, I'm on a committee with with Mike and and um, Tom Izzo and Mark Few. We have a special NABC ad hoc committee. He's one of the he's the leader. He's he's always thinking about the game he's always thinking like years ahead and what the ncaa should be doing to make it better and 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 he's really a great role model for all of us in coaching he's just he's done it 
at, at the highest level for the longest time. I think that his career at this time, relative to this time period in college basketball, is equal to what John Wooden did at his time of college basketball. It really, to, to win five in this era is like winning ten in that era. Um, he, he's definitely the greatest of all time. Jay Wright joining us. So, Jay, last fall, CBS did a poll of more than 100, 100 college basketball coaches, and one of the questions was, with Mike Krzyzewski retiring soon, who is the best person to replace him as the most prominent voice and face of college basketball? The winner by a very healthy margin was you. How do you feel when you hear that, and is that a role that you want to take on? Uh, it's, it's very... Uh... It's very humbling. It's, it's a nice. That's that's a nice thing uh, uh, to hear. But I'm not really comfortable in that role, to be honest, Jim. I think um, I think what Mike did a great job. It was Mike. You know, was was in a Power Five conference. He, he was always, um, you know, always at at a, at a at a big school and and you know, coaching the head of USA Basketball. Um, you know, we, we do things in a unique way at, here at Villanova. I don't know if it fits all the other schools where I have the, the right to really be the, the, the voice, you know, for, for the game. Um, I, I personally, I think a guy like Mark Few is, is really, would be really good at that. Um, I think about Tom Izzo is really good at that. Um, there are some other guys, but definitely it's, it's, that's nice to hear, man. I didn't, I didn't actually know that one. But I'll take that from you, buddy, because I know you do your research. Well, that's true, Jay. You won that thing by a landslide. I think the other thing that we have to factor in, though, and something that you have not addressed yet. Look, I'm not going to disagree, Jay, with what 100 other college basketball coaches may say or think. But here's what I need to know. What would my guys buff Mook and Bob Craig feel <laughs> about you being the face Dude. of the sport? Or better yet, what if you turn that down? What would they say? I need to know what those guys would say. All they care about is that I stay in coaching, so you mention their name on your show. <laughs> That's all they care about. They don't care about anything else. They brag about that all year till I go on again, and then they'll be listening, and then they'll tell everybody about it again for a year, man. So, I love these guys. On the golf course, they'll always talk about it. I'm, I'm on the Jim Rome show, man. I'm on the Jim Rome show. You know what's amazing about that, Jay? I love these guys so much. I love these guys like they're my own <laughs> brothers, and I've never met them, and they're like the best guys ever, especially Mook, man. You tell Mook I said what's up. I love Mook. I love Mook. He's the one. He's the craziest <laughs> of all of you, right? You and tell he, me. He's the only one that might might know as close to as much about sports as you. Not as much, but he, he could – he, he thinks he could do your show. He probably could, man. He probably could. That's why I don't let him anywhere near me because I know what will happen if I give him that chance. You just tell the fellas I said what's up. Really quick, Jay, before you go, March is all. That's when it matters most, of course. So at this point of the season, how would you describe the identity of this group and this team? Really interesting group. We, we, we have a, 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 a good, strong core. We're, we're a physical team. We can, we can play different styles of play. Um, we got to get um, our depth. We got to get our young guys um, real quick here because we're running out of time. We got at Butler, and then we got the Big East tournament. We got to get our young guys really dialed in so we can we can go eight nine deep. Um, I think that's going to be the key to the finish of our season here, and if we're going to be able to make a run in the NCAA tournament.
you know, it's a different sport, but I think you can relate to this because you're a big sports fan. Brandon Staley of the Chargers came on yesterday, and he said almost the exact same thing about his roster, deep and complete, deep and complete. Like, yeah. he just kept he kept saying it, it over and over again, we want to be deep and complete. That's what it comes down to, right, Jay? I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that term. I there like that go. a lot. There you go. But it does. It, it really does. you gotta, you got to be able to, if you're going to make a run, you know, you can't go into a tournament knowing that, all right, if we hit this, Specific matchup of the team that plays this style, we can't handle it. You can't do that. You got to be. You got to know that your your roster can handle any situation. That's how you can make a run. Villanova, twenty-two and seven, fifteen and four, number eleven in both polls, and it is their time of year. They're at Butler tomorrow. Jay Wright, our guest. Jay, I want I want you to know how much I appreciate you, the relationship, the fact that you make time for this every year at this time, and make sure the guys know that I appreciate them too, especially Mook. You're the best, Jim. We love it, buddy. Hey, now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? I did not want to start hour number one with this, but I can't start hour number two with it. Clippers, 132. Lakers, 111. So for the Clippers, it was turn up, love you guys, awesome. Turn up, love you guys, awesome. And for the Lakers, quite obviously, it was shut it down, let's go home. Shut it down! Let's go home! I mean, we've been working and building to this, right? Reggie Jackson absolutely worked the Lakers last night. 36, 9 assists, 8 rebounds. But it wasn't even just the numbers or that near triple-double. It was how he did it. Because this guy was humiliating the suckas in purple and gold. Like crossing up Russell Westbrook. Jackson's gone 12 28. That's a foul on Russ. Ooh, 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 ooh. Got him. And I would have done this too. Because he would have been everywhere. Sweet crossover. Holy smokes. Incredible. And well said. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Got him. Hell yes, he did. Jackson put him on skates. And all Russ could do was stick a leg out and trip him. I'm not sure what's worse. Getting crossed up like that or responding by tripping the dude. Like, just take that crossover like the professional that you keep telling us you are and jog the hell back up the court. Actually, if you're getting crossed up like that, take it like the professional you keep telling us you are and jog the hell right out the arena because your night's done. But Russ tripped him and then after the foul, tried to slap the ball out of his hand. And it was only going to get worse because with the crowd chanting Reggie, Reggie, Jackson then did this to Russ and the GM. He wants to go back at Westbrook again. Yep. Switching with James and a three by Jackson. Woo! That guy's Captain Stroke. Quote. Oh! And that right there sums up 
your sorry-ass night, Laker fan. In fact, that right there sums up your sorry-ass season, Laker fan. Now, I'm not going to come in here like some idiot with hot takes and say that the Clippers run L.A. Because they don't, and they never will. L.A. is a Lakers town and always will be. The Clippers do not run L.A., but they do own the Lakers. Let's make that distinction. They do not run L.A., but they own the Lakers. They swept the season series. They went 4-0 against them. They've now done them seven straight times. Let me say that again. Let me say that again, and this time even louder. The Clippers have won seven straight against the Lakers. In other words, Laker fan, go ahead. Tell the Clippers how their ass tastes. Tell me how my ass tastes. For years, that's a crew that could barely win seven games in an entire season. And now they're beating you seven straight times. And it's about to get worse because, check this from LeGM. LeGM was asked about the Clippers. Quote, I mean, they're a better team. Many a better team. Did you hear that? LeBron. Many a better team. I mean, they're a better team. Many a better team. And you know what's worse than that guy saying it? The fact that he's right, he's definitely not wrong. That's right. Even if it's the most obvious statement ever, when was the last time you actually heard a member of the Lakers say the Clippers were a better team? Pretty much never. But they are now. Not only are they the better team, they're the better organization right now. How can anybody say otherwise? They've punked the Lakers seven times in a row. Seven Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not four, not five, not six, seven. Many a better team. And it's only because it's only been seven. It'll be eight next time. Straight ownage. And not only did they hammer those slugs in purple and gold, they did it without Kawhi Leonard They did it without Paul George. They did it without Norman Powell. (laughs) The Clippers were missing their top three players, and they still embarrassed and humiliated the once-proud Lakers, a Laker team that was one of the odds-on favorites to win it all this year. Even without their three best players, they're out here clowning and mocking the hell out of the Lakers. Yeah, I get that you're banged up, but what the hell, where's your pride? Where's your dignity? A straight curb stomping. Complete hospital job. Administered by the Clippers' second team. So the Lakers aren't just getting beaten. They're getting blown out on the regular. They're not even showing up. They're not even competing. And they're embarrassing themselves and everybody who ever wore that jersey before them. And this entire city. Now... Before you or I drop a Q-bomb on them and call them quitters, and I'm going to get there in a minute, Russell Westbrook, arguably the biggest problem, says, don't do it. Don't you call me a quitter. I'm not a quitter. It's not in my genes. I don't quit regardless of what the hell going on. I'm going to fight to the end, and then if it don't work, that's cool too. I can live with the results, but... Uh, I'm never going to give up or give in because of a little struggle that's happening this time of the year. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did he call that a little struggle? A little struggle? Is that what he said? Alvy, can I hear that one more time, just the end of that? Did he call that a little struggle? 
to the end, and then if it don't work, that's cool too. I can live with the, with the results, but uh, I'm never going to give up or give in because of a little struggle that's happening My this man, time of the year. If by little struggle you mean complete and total bleeping disaster, I would agree. It's a little struggling. A little struggle that's happening this time of the year. Dude, it's not a little struggle. It's an utter disaster, and you're not going to fight your way out of this season or ever. Yeah, I know you're not a quitter. I know you're not a quitter, Russ, but you should quit. The entire Laker team should quit. Operation Shutdown. Cancun on three. Pull the plug on the season. And I'm serious. I'm not saying this for effect. This is not some sort of overreaction. This isn't some hot take factory. It's the smart take. Because mine always are. It's the smart take. Shutting it down is the smart, logical thing to do at this point. Man, I've seen enough. In fact, I've seen way too much. You're not going to figure it out. You've had all the time needed to figure it out. Clearly, it's not happening. It's not going to. It's just not. More playing isn't going to make Russ fit any better than he already doesn't. Playing more games is not going to make this defense any better. This is who this team is. And the team is awful. Bringing Russ in was a terrible mistake. The damage is irreparable. This bleep is broken, and there is no fixing it. There is no point in trying to get to the playoffs. There's no point in trying to even get into the play-in. Just quit. Quit. You're going to get your asses busted up and knocked out as soon as you get in if you play your way in. And again, for who? For what? I'm not even saying the Lakers should tank so they can get a better draft pick because they won't get one. They already traded that away. They can't quit to save their season. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they can quit to save my time. And you know the old saying, when the going gets tough, the tough quit. When life gives you lemons, you quit. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you quit. When you fall off that horse, quit. If you aim for the moon and you miss, just quit. I'm saying they should quit so the rest of us do not have to watch this anymore. LeBron's already out there on a bad leg. Shut this guy down. He may have old man strength, but this dude is not going to put those slugs on his back and carry them anywhere. And don't bring AD back either this season. For who? For what? So he can jack up a leg or an ankle in a meaningless April game against the Pelicans? Hell no. I'm not saying that more rest is going to make that guy healthier in the future. But if you only get a certain number of games before one of his limbs does fall off, you might as well make sure that those are the games that actually matter. And nothing the Lakers do the rest of the way matters. You're one game ahead of the Pelicans for the last playing spot. You're two games ahead of the Blazers, and they're in a full rebuild. You're tanking, and you don't even know it. And yes, I would agree, the noble thing would be to keep fighting, to keep battling all the way to the end. Except not really. That's not really noble at all. Not when the rest of us have to watch it. There's nothing honorable about repeatedly smashing your head into a brick wall. Even worse, when the rest of us have to watch it. And I have to talk about it. In other words, just quit. Just quit. Like, I know you want to. And don't tell me you don't want to. 
I know you want to, and I know some of you already have, so what do you say we just make it official once and for all? You take down that car flag, you raise a white flag, because this season is done. The only thing more embarrassing than your season ending in early March is not knowing it until mid-April. I always say that the worst thing that you can say about anybody in sports is that they quit. But in this case, the worst thing that I could say about the Lakers is that they're still trying. Quitting may be ordinarily the worst thing, but better to be known as quitters than as a team trying that really is this horrible. A little struggle that's happening. Quitting would be more honorable than trying and being this crappy. Just quit. Just quit so I can quit talking about you. A little struggle that's happening. A little struggle. You're trying to tell me you're not really struggling. Charles Barkley's really pissed. He won't even refer to them as the Lakers anymore. Chuck, who's playing in this game? The Clippers and? The Clippers and the team from Southern California. Oh, you don't say that name. You still not I'm not, talk, I'm not talking is, about is there, is there a point at which you said, okay, I'm now I'm going to say their name? If they win a playoff game. So you're not going to say the word Lakers for the rest of the The rest of the season. season. I'm not talking about these damn losers. Between the nitwits of TNT and the nitwits with ESPN, we talk about these losers more than any people in the world. Freaking Chuck, still the best. Who else can get on air and kill their bosses? I couldn't do that. Believe me, I've gotten in way more trouble for saying this much of what he just said. He just called his bosses the nitwits. He's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to reference them by their actual name. I don't want to talk about these losers anymore. The only reason I am is because of all these nitwits at TNT and ESPN. Between the nitwits at TNT and the nitwits with ESPN, we talk about these losers more than any people in the world. Nitwits, an extremely underrated phrase. So you know the best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. Well, the same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Mason Rudolph joins me in studio. Mason, what's going on? How are you? Thanks for having me in, Jim. Big did fan. I, big dude, fan. I, you know, I can't believe it. Four years. Does it yeah. feel like four years to you? I think with COVID, everything seems like it went by. You know, like two years just disappeared. So 
um, it's, it's, it's gone by fast, but I'm happy to be back, and, and thanks for having me. Anyway. All right, it's good to have you. And so bring me up to it. I know why you're here, but so everybody else does too. You're in Southern California. You're doing some work. How is the offseason going for you, and what are the types of things that you're working on right now? Yeah, uh, I like to come out here, you know, two months out of the year, kind of, you know, yeah, when the season ends and, and work on some mechanical things, some tweaks, arm slot, you know, mechanics, throwing the ball in the run, trying to improve, you know, one, you know, 5%, try to get that, try to get that edge. And I've done that the last four, four off seasons with the guys at 3D QB and, and uh, working out. I think, you know, I've got a brother in Hollywood who's an actor. So great to see him this time of year and kind of get some family time. But uh, I, it's in, I've enjoyed it. My man, this is a business trip. I understand this. I also know where you are in this part of the state. Do you have any time to get out and enjoy Southern California? And to be more specific, have you hit up my guy Javier yet at Javier's? <laughs> I have. I, I, it's uh, you can't can't beat the weather this time of year. Beautiful and and uh, no, that's a that's a. Uh, you know, great spot there. Great, great Mexican, big fan. There it is. Again, sure. the, there are only a few things in the world that are undefeated. Sex and Javier. No, I've <laughs> never, ever sent anybody to Javier as you said, no, it was not what you said it was. All right, so I don't need to tell you. You know you have an enormous opportunity in front of you. You know this better than anybody. I'm curious, like, Mason, you're going to attack your offseason the same way regardless, but because of what the situation is in Pittsburgh right now and the opportunity, are you hitting it with even a greater sense of urgency? Yeah, I think I think uh, it's having an, an entire off season with a different mindset. You know, I think the last few years, yeah, you, are you preparing like like I'm the starter? Yes, yes. But you know, when you get back to camp, you know, there's a Hall of Fame quarterback there that that is the starter. So, I think uh, I'm excited for the opportunity, and I know, you know having a chance to be the starting quarterback, that's all you can ask for. Mason Rudolph joining me in studio. I'm going to ask you about your situation in one second, but just to follow up on that Hall of Fame quarterback, like Big Ben. I mean, you had a chance to kind of study and watch a guy who's going to go down as one of the greatest to ever do it. In your mind, what made him different? What made him such an outlier other than size? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think, you know, for me, there's not a lot of young quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks that get to come into a team um, and, and get to study and watch a Hall of Fame player work. And I think that was, you know, a big benefit. But I think, you know, I think when, he, when it comes down to it, uh, situational football you know, red zone and two minute. He, he was he was the best. I think, you know, I think back. To, I think he's like second all time in, in in two minute drives and game winning drives, and he was clutch. And I think that's kind of what sticks out to it, me. Can you learn that? Can they teach that, or are you wired for that, and you are or you aren't? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think that's that's learned. I think when you, you you know the more experiences you have, the more two minute drives you have, uh, you get better in crunch time. And I think you know. I've I've uh, th- done a good job of that over my career. I think there's always room for improvement, um, but you know, going back and watching the tape and seeing why was he good, what what were what were his favorite plays down the stretch, uh, what were some of the plays he called in the, in the two minute offense, things like that you can draw from as a young quarterback. Let me ask you something: How much can you improve if you're not playing? regularly like you are preparing and you are yeah. learning and you're working everything you can but how much better can you really get if you're not playing yeah I think I think practice reps are, are big I think uh, you know through the season there was days you know where Ben being being you know being a, a you know a veteran quarterback you know, Wednesdays Thursdays he may not practice you know the hits piled up and I think those were advantageous days for me to get to run with the first team offense and yeah I'm not playing on Sundays but uh, you know those are you know valuable reps for me to bank, um, and and you got to make the most out of them. You got to treat it those days like a game. So that's what I did, and 
And I think um, that's all you can do as a backup quarterback and continue to... Well, and stay ready, right? Because you never know. As an example, that game against Detroit. I mean, you found out in very short notice that you were going to play about 16 hours before the game. And then after reviewing the film, Mike Tomlin said there were a lot of good things that you did. I'm curious, how did you go about getting ready for that start on only a few hours notice? Yeah. Um, Coach Tomlin called me that night, you know, said, hey, Ben's Ben's COVID positive. And that's, that's the thing I love about Coach Tomlin. He's, he's... He's transparent. He's he's he'll give you a call. You know he's not going through the player development guy. He's got relationships with, you know, everyone on the team. And he he gave he, he gave me that heads up and said, hey, Ben's down. You're up. And um, you know let's go. So obviously you know didn't win the game. Yeah, you know tied 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 the game. And and uh, you know I understand the, the scrutiny that comes with with tying. You know not winning. And that's obviously the goal always. And uh, but uh, I think there were some things I can build from in that game when I look back and look at the tape. Mason Rudolph is joining me in studio once again, first time in four years. Let me ask you this. Team President Art Rooney II said, quote, is quote, Mason is someone that we feel comfortable with. He went on to say, we want somebody who can grow into someone thought of as the franchise quarterback, end of quote. See, it seems to me that's a reminder that stakes are even higher than just being a starter in that league. In your mind, what does it take to be a franchise quarterback? Yeah, I think just uh, consistent success. I think, I think, being, you know, being that guy day in and day out. I think a lot of guys can have, you know, a good couple of games, but, you know, you look at a guy, you know, like like Ben, and, and, who's a long-time, you know, starter Hall of Fame player, um, you got to have consistent success and you got to be, you know, you got to be a leader. You got to be a guy in the building that's, uh, um, you know, motivating others and, and making others around him better. And, and that's, you know, that's the kind of guy I, I want to be and I think I can be. You know, the thing is that there's plenty of people that have plenty of really good things to say about you, but Mason, you know how this works, right? Not everybody's going to say really good things about you. Former Steeler, or any of us for that matter, I'm not singling you out. Former Steeler Ryan Clark said this, quote, if Mason Rudolph is the starting quarterback for the Steelers entering 2022, they are no longer the Pittsburgh Steelers I love or the fans of Pittsburgh love. They are no longer the team that decides every offseason we are going to try to compete for a championship. End of quote. Like... You may or may not have heard that, but now that you've heard that, what kind of thoughts do you have? What's your reaction? Yeah, I mean, shoot, I, I totally understand the barbershop talk. Um, you know, I think it, you're playing one of the most highly scrutinized, um, you know, positions in all sports, and and it comes with the it comes with the dinner. I think, uh, you know, I get that. I I, you know, I never understand the guys that that uh, you know invite it and then cry wolf at the end. You know, I think I think uh, I totally understand it. I I enjoy it, and I and I think um, you know I. I've got a lot to prove, and I and I think uh, that, that that motivates me. And but yeah, I mean, shoot, of course, there's people out there that I think there's probably 31 teams that aren't happy with some part of their team, you know, because there's only only one can can win it all. So. So let me ask you about that. So the team, like the team you have, it's a team that played hard down the stretch. You went four and two. You won some tight games. But you're playing in a division with Joe Burrow and the defending AFC champions. So in terms of what you have right now, do you feel like the team is going to be in a position where they can compete with the Bengals right now, or do you think the team's going to have to make some roster changes? I think. Uh, no, I think we, we've, 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 we do have a good team. We've got a you know a great defense. Um, you know, a lot of good players. I think we you know, we got some we got some weapons. We got a, young, a lot of young. Receiving talent, uh, you know, a running back who's a workhorse, who's who had a you know sensational rookie year. I think, I think uh, you know having an offense that's you know kind of always been tailored to somebody else to Ben. I think this year, you know, you're going to see, you know, hope you know some changes and, and maybe you know added play action pass, you know, under center, some some kind of open up the offense, push the ball down the field, you know, some things, some of the things that I enjoy doing and I, and I, and I like doing, and, and I think um, you know that's exciting, and and I, we got a great group of guys. We got. 
a lot of veteran leadership, uh, you know, on especially the defensive side of the ball. So I'm, I'm very excited for the 22 season. I was going to say, Mason, what about the offense? Matt Canada is the team's offensive coordinator. Now that you've had some time in that offense, what do you like about it? And then how well does that fit your strengths? Yeah, I think um, I, I like Matt. And I, I think, you know, there's, uh, you know, you know, there's um, I'm excited to take the, that next step. As I said, I think. You know, there, there were some concepts, there were some things that Ben had ran and Ben had been comfortable with for 10 years. I mean, no matter who, you know, the coordinator was, um, he was tied to some concepts. And I think there was a bit of a, a mesh between him and the coordinator. And I think, um, you know, you get that kind of leeway when you're, when you're an 18-year, you know, future Hall of Fame quarterback. But I, I'm excited this year to just uh, kind of have the, you know, dialogue with Matt and, and um, you know, move forward into kind of, you know, his bread and butter. He's, he's a play-action guy. He's a He's a uh, you know push the ball down the field guy, and uh, that's that, I think that suits my style well. You know when you and I started this conversation, you mentioned mindset to start the offseason. I had Washington quarterback Taylor Heineke on the show the week before Super Bowl. We talked about their situation, and he said that he was preparing for a quarterback battle. Like that was the mindset. Are you preparing for a quarterback battle? Yes, I think for sure. I think you know no matter what you know competition is 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 a, as a you know. You, you, there's always going to be competition, you know, no matter if, you know, we draft somebody, if we bring somebody else in, I'm, I'm uh, never going to shy away from that. And, and uh, that's an obvious component and it will, you know, when, we know where they're going to add to the room, right? So um, I'm, I'm excited to compete and um, looking forward to the opportunity to play. You know, as I mentioned, it's amazing. Four years, like when you and I first met and we first spoke, you were getting ready for the draft. So you had no idea at that time that you'd be drafted by the Steelers, one of the most iconic franchises in the NFL. So what's it been like to play football in Pittsburgh, represent that team and those fans? Yeah, I think um, what a first-class organization. Um, you know, I think you've got, you've got really Hall of Fame people at every level, you know, from the Roonies and the ownership. To the head coach, to, to Kevin, you know, at, at the GM spot. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times you, you can, you know, you, you try to shut out the noise, but you can get caught up in the barbershop talk. And I think, um, you know, knowing that those types of people, you know, that have had such storied careers are, are you know, you know, have confidence in you. It gives me confidence. And, and um, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, continue to play for, you know, the Steelers and, and, and an organization that's first class. Yes, you mentioned the barbershop talk. Like, everybody treats this stuff differently, right? Some people love it, and they run on that, and that's the kind of fuel they want. Others are like, you know, I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear how horrible I am, and I'm the worst guy ever. How do you approach it? Do you block it all out? Do you sometimes look for it? What do you do with all the noise? Yeah, I think I think a bit of mix of both. I think, um, you know, you can, anyone that's, you know, you, you try to shut it out, and I think anyone that says that, they can shut it out completely. It's probably, you know, lying, kind of t t telling a bit of a lie because, you know, social media and, and you could walk by a restaurant and see, you know, something on a TV. So um, you, you, it's going to be put in your face eventually. You know, how do you handle it? Do you let I think I think I do let it motivate me you know, a bit, but you're also you can't dwell on it and you got to you know control what you can control. All so. right. So. Before I mentioned it, it's been four years. I'm kind of curious, like before you came on, maybe you watched it. I was talking about the combine. It is that time of year, right? You've been through the process. What advice do you have for the young guys going through what you went through four plus years ago? Yeah, I just remember, you know, growing up watching the combine thinking, oh, it's it's a one day thing. You, you fly in there <laughs> and you throw on Thursday and then you're out of there. But that's man, not what that is. It's there's so much more. As you know, there's so much more to it. The, 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 you know, the meetings, the interviews, the you know the 4 a.m. drug testing. It's 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 a it's a three or four day process that, you know, they really try to drain you and, and see how you react on that last day. You know, and see how you perform when you're kind of, you know, at lack of sleep and not at your best.
you know, I was going to say about the and the medical approach. Like they want to make sure that before they invest in an athlete, they want to make sure you're physically sound. Tell me I'm wrong because I've never gone through this. But by the time they're done pulling and yanking on everything, if you weren't already hurt before you got there, are you not hurt by the time you leave? You, you, you can be. You can get pried by every team doctor you know in the league. And I think uh, I was listening to you earlier talking about you know the hand size and what do you make and, of that? Uh, it's it- I, I I think. Uh, you know, it's funny. There's some statistics out there that you know, certain amount amount of guys with small hands. But I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's about, I think it's about your, your your performance on the field. And you know, there's plenty of guys that have have had small hands and, and done really well. So I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I enjoyed your your bit on that. But uh, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. Finally, a pro athlete saying, "I know what I know. I'm, or I know what I'm talking about." There you go, Mason Rudolph joining me in studio the first time in four years. Like I said, I cannot believe it's been four years. Great to have you back. You and I just covered a lot of ground once again. Good luck this off season. Let's get together again during the season, Mason. I really appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have a credit card. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, someone who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. So the NFL Combine started last night, and it got about a billion percent more attention than anything in the MLB regular season in a long, long time. Like, you want to know how big of a hole MLB has dug for itself? The NFL getting a bunch of college guys together to run, jump, and bench is way more interesting than five months of the MLB season. People are way... Yeah, bench the salt. Do that for sure. People are way more worked up about a guy's hand size than they are about missing a chunk of the MLB season. So there were at least three takeaways from last night. First off, dudes are fast. I mean, really fast. Ohio State wide receiver Chris Olave. Chris Olave, (laughs) 426 people. Okay. (laughs) Hey now. 426. Hey now is right. Remember how Brandon Staley came on yesterday? We were talking about how elite wide receivers are coming into the league year after year after year. Well, this is what we were talking about. A guy who went for nearly 1,000 yards and 13 touchdowns for the Buckeyes last season, and he shows up yesterday with that speed. This is critical because the guy's rap was supposed to be that he was smooth, he was steady. Turns out he's smooth and fast as hell, and he wasn't even an outlier Eight different receivers went sub 4-4. The fastest guy, Taekwon Thornton, went sub 4-3. Taekwon Thornton of Baylor. These times are unofficial. However, if it's official, we have a new fastest man in the history of the combine. I thought he stumbled. That is one one-hundredth of a second faster than John Ross's time in 2017. So his unofficial time, 4-2-1 which would have been a new combine record, but the official time, 4-2-8, so he's going to have to settle for being the fastest receiver ever. (laughs) So speed is not going to be an issue for this class of receivers. Speaking of freaky athletes, that brings me to the second big takeaway from the combine so far. Evan Neal. If you have not seen a picture of this guy, 
the Alabama tackle, who is expected to go first overall, I suggest that you see a picture of this guy as soon as you can. You want to talk about a situation where eyes or the eyes are deceiving. He told reporters that he weighed in at 337 before he arrived in Indy. Now, I know what you're thinking. Before you think it, you hear somebody walking around at 337, and suddenly you're looking to gloss him Evan Meal or Seven Meals. But you better not. You better stop because there is nothing soft or sloppy about this guy's 337. As Charles Davis said yesterday, he looks like he's about 275. Hell, the guy looks like he's about 225. That is the most compact 340 I have ever seen in my life. This guy doesn't even look like a tackle. When he's standing at the podium, he looks like a tight end, maybe an outside linebacker. Remember earlier in the year when there were all these reports that Zion Williamson was really fat? His weight at that time was allegedly 330. And the accompanying photos were so weird that they looked like they had been photoshopped. Evan Neal weighs more than Zion allegedly did. And he looks like he could be playing small forward. 337, to put this in perspective, is 10 pounds less than Vita Vea's listed weight. And as much as I love Vita, they carry that weight differently. But of course... It is the combine, so it can't all be good news, right? There's got to be something for everybody to get all worked up about, and that something was Kenny Pickett and his tiny little hands. Pickett's hands were measured at eight and a half inches. Uh oh! Uh -oh. Break out the tiny hands <laughs> alarm, Alvy. Tiny hands. Evan Neal does not need tiny the fat hands. alarm, but tiny Pickett's hands. tiny paws. Tiny Needs some sort of alert. Like eight and a half inch hands. How did that guy even play football? Forget playing football. How does that guy even open doors with those childlike infant hands? I love how people who don't know jack about football or hands are suddenly football hand size experts on social media. It's like the funniest thing ever to me. They're walking around like pickets got Muppet hands. And it's a death sentence. Yeah, I know. I know. He would have the smallest hands of a quarterback in the NFL. But people are acting like dude doesn't actually have hands. Like he's out there with nubs. They're treating him like the tiny hands guy from the Burger King commercials. I mean, this dude was a Heisman finalist. He did win the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. And everybody's acting like he's got these little doll hands at the end of his arms. Or as I mentioned, nubs. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. There's no way a guy with those tiny meat hooks can play in a cold weather city. Except for one thing. He went to the University of Pittsburgh. Not exactly the Sun Belt. You know, the fact that his hands are small is not even a surprise. He did not have them measured at the Senior Bowl, and he said the thinking behind that was pretty simple, and it brings up my favorite hand-related topics. The reason why I didn't measure at the Senior Bowl was just to have those extra couple weeks, uh, just kind of a common sense thing. It'll, it'll help you to have more time uh, working the exercises. So whatever it measures, it measures, and you know, I'm sure that won't be the end of it, but I'll be the last measurement I'm sure I'll take of it. I love that. All right, so, like, I hate people debating about hand size. 
like they know what the hell they're talking about. But I'll tell you what I love. I love hearing about stretches and exercises that guys use to make their hands bigger. Now, that is hilarious. I know there's a lot riding on this. I do. But imagine going to the gym just to work on the length of your hands. Showing up at the gym, meeting up with your trainer, and working on hand stretches. Is it leg day or back and by? Nope, it's hands day. Remember when Joe Burrow allegedly had really small mitts? He even tweeted, quote, considering retirement after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands. Please keep me in your thoughts. Another reason why Burrow is so awesome. Listen, I'm not saying that Pickett is the next Burrow, but what I am saying is that Joe and his tiny hands seem to have worked out pretty well for Cincinnati. So it doesn't matter. I guess from a perception standpoint, yes. In reality, though, David Fleming of ESPN did this long piece a couple of years back. They completely debunked the idea that there's a correlation between hand size and career success. But that's not going to stop people from losing their minds over this guy's tiny hands. Never mind that Michael Vick and Tony Romo had relatively small hands, and it didn't seem to stop them. Like, among current quarterbacks, one of the shortest guys, Russell Wilson, has the biggest at 10 and a quarter inches. Like, dude, that's crazy. He's rolling around Seattle with catcher's mitts. How about this? Remember Jim Drunkenmiller? 11 and a quarter inch hands. And he threw more picks than TDs. Then again, it is pretty hard to throw a football, grip and throw a football when you've got snowshoes for hands. Listen, I'm not saying that you should draft this guy or not draft this guy. I'm just saying maybe you don't make that decision based on the tiny hands that he has. Tiny hands. Tiny hands. Tiny hands. What's next? The combine is slowly becoming the jungle on anything goes day. You know, where personal appearance is allowed. Like, hey, yo, Jeff Hostetler. Jeff Hostetler's coming out this year. They say strong arm, pretty mobile, but his mustache makes him look like a porn star. More of a porn star than a QB. Don't draft him. Hey, Jimmy Garoppolo, don't take him. Too good looking. I mean, dang. My man will not put in the work because he will be chasing the undefeated champion in the history of the world, sex. Don't take him. Clones, save your tweets on what NFL scouts would say about Matt Stafford, Big Ben, and especially Nick Foles. And why Foles doesn't need a tripod like the rest of us for selfies. And there they go, in the Mind That Bird Derby. Welcome to the jungle. A tremendous Monday to you. What's going on? Why don't we start with the LA Lakers? Why don't we start by saying they're garbage. The Lakers are a trash team. Fact. Not a hot take. Not an opinion. Fact. They're garbage. They're a trash team. Boyne's going to bring it out of the backcourt and throws it 10 feet over the head of Boyne Damn near chucked it into the convention center. It's a good thing Radio Row is not still going on because that pass would have taken out our CBS set. Back on Radio Row CBS Sports Network. The Leaping Clown Show. Chris Herring joining us. Was that rock bottom last night, or could it still get worse? 
I think maybe that was rock bottom. Who knows whether LeBron wants to play out the rest of the season and then at best they're first-round washout. And straight up to you is the mind that derb Derby winner over Does Jim Rome have a Kentucky Derby contender? Yeah, I don't know about that. Doubtful. But he is an awesome dude, and he's having a really nice career, and I'm enjoying the hell out of the ride. Showed me a lot of heart. Kyron Williams, my guest. Why don't we talk family, family. for a minute? Mm-hmm. Your father, Larry, played football at Northern Illinois. He was one of your coaches. He is the reason why that I am today. After disrespecting her kitty. But the NBA... Run his head Let's down. restore some class and dignity to jungle. My God, it's all that call. Congratulations to the G-Man. Not. But I've never seen a group of owners who seem to hate their own game as much as this crew does. Like going out of their way to hurt the game. Shout out to Damon Amendolara for somehow transmogrifying from horse to human. The last time I saw such equine failure, Jim, was when seven other three-year-olds lined up against Straight Up G and thought they could beat him. Damon Amendolara. Paul's dog laid a turd. That jerk is a hack. His takes are all whack. If I see him, I'll bite on his ass and... So I'm telling myself, I come out of this Joey Bean Bender. Get your ass to Moss. Get your ass to the Tower of Hate. Today might be Fat Fat Tuesday for you. Yesterday was Fat Monday for me. That was the Bender. Randy Bennett Bennett. is my guest. Thanks for having me back on your show. It's been a while. I was thinking the same thing, Randy. Nice to be back with the legend. Sepp Straka. I'll go to the grocery store and and make sure I always have some Diet Coke. What makes Diet Coke better than Pepsi? Pepsi's just a little little flat and kind of tastes a little syrup. Jorge Masvidal is my guest. He has herpes from wrestling, Matt Herpes, and every time he has a little bit too much stress, he starts to break out. He's got the Matt Herpes. That means he's full under stress. I wonder why he's so stressed out. Mike, what's your beef? My beef is my uh, beef stick. It's like a wet noodle. If I want to get nice, I got to take a purple pill. You knew exactly what you were doing. I'd say we're going to walk off on that, but we're going to run off on that. Peter DeBoer is my guest, and your job was to write disclaimers on the back of floppy disks. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like that would suck. Yeah, you're exactly, that's a good way to put it. it. It sucked. I go, yeah, bro, it's two bucks a bag. He goes, not when you're making $8.5 million, it's not. You ain't got no game. If you hit me and I'd be like, okay, that's all you got? You ain't got nothing but a hit? I'm getting ready to mess over you. Brandon Staley is my guest. Brandon, you mentioned Justin Herbert. You know, I said it last year to you, Jim, is that he's one of the guys. And you know how important that is for, for your starting quarterback, just be one of the guys. I think that's what, why people love him so much and that's why you're seeing him improve as much as he's improved because he's putting so much into it. I just don't think he's that bright of a guy, man. I'm just going to be honest with you. I hate to say it. I don't think Magic Johnson is anything resembling a genius. And I think when he tweets really dumb stuff, I'm not saying he's a dummy, but I think he thinks he's way smarter than he is. <laughs> Daddy had to go all in in order for Daddy to be the GOAT. But kids... Daddy's coming home. Now it's all about us. It's all about you. It's all about fam. For a couple of weeks, now Daddy's got to bounce. Javier Chicharito Hernandez is my guest. Jonathan Dos Santos said that you can do a great American accent. What is your reaction to that? (laughs) Oh, Jonah. First of all, I want to say hi to him. Jay Wright joining us. That's right. That's nice to hear, man. I didn't actually know that one, but I'll take that from you, buddy, because I know you do your research. What would my guys, Buff, Mook, and Bob Craig feel <laughs> about you being the face Yo, of the sport? All they care about is that I stay in coaching, so you mention their name on your show. That's all they care about. How did that guy even play football? Forget playing football. How does that guy even open doors with those childlike infant hands. Mason Rudolph joining me in studio the first time in four years. I was listening to you earlier talking about you know, the hand size. and What do you make of that? Uh, it's, there's plenty of guys that have had small hands and, and done really well. You rush them out of the theater. I'm telling you, they're just some things you don't do. He's like, dude, I had no idea. And then my kids started throwing up all over themselves. They've yet to challenge straight up G. With my guy, Craig Data. Really appreciate you and what you've done over the years here. No! No! 
anything but the eye. We are who we are because of who we were. I, I, I love it now. We'll try and keep winning. Maybe we can get back on the show again. Rumble. Jim, such a pleasure, and thank you very much for giving me this time. <laughs> Little struggle that's happening. Nothing good comes out of Let's that. Let's just see if we can get to 30. Why not? Baseball bat. Get this guy at Bar bags. Good night now! The amazing thing is not only that Alvin can put that thing together every single week, but that he gets info that happened right before he pushes play. I, I know that's a game for you, Alvy. Like, how far can we push this thing? Good night! 